0: I can't believe you swore on the podcast. Scandalous! No.
1: He does more than I think he realizes or intends to.
2: I think I'm scared to swear in the pod?
1: I remember <laughs> on one of the early episodes, you were like, "I dare someone to find me dropping an, an f-bomb on the pod." <laughs> <laughs>
0: Welcome to Add By That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your host, Sean Hartman, and despite all my rage, I'm still a life lover.
2: Oh, that's kind of heartwarming, actually. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like the song Life Lover, but we'll get there. Yeah, there you go. We'll get there. I'm co-host Jeremy, and I'm just one of the guys here today. You are... Aren't you? Yeah. Well, I'm
1: co host Peter Cook, and I am the, for the third year in a row, the top Tupperware salesman in the Midwest.
3: Oh.
0: <laughs> do you feel like your achievements in the Tupperware universe have been properly noted and appreciated? I do. I got Tuppies for days. <laughs>
2: Is that the award for? <laughs> yeah. Ah. (laughs) Yeah. Great, great. Recognition. Love for people to get their proper recognition, which is why today I have brought Frank and their solo first album, Folk Singer. Folk Singer. Folk Singer.
1: Frank, this isn't that guy with the big head, right? The big fake head
2: no not that frank this is your average all-american jewish lesbian folk singer ah yes Frank, of course (laughs) spelled with a (laughs) ph and a c at the end yeah and let's just play a cut right out the gate here so you can hear what frank sounds like i'm gonna go with one of the girls all right let's do that We're talking side A, track five.
3: The girls are sitting out by the pool Quite a few live in Malibu They've got the sandwiches in their igloo cooler. The guys are laying out. They're pretty buff dudes. Me, I'm working on my tent too. Every day we get a five. jump in the pool, practice our butterfly. Swimming, swimming till we're dead then Run to the showers, shampoo each other's heads Jen, Jenny, Tana, Pam and Debbie Are some of the girls Jen, Jenny, Tana, Pam Pam Some of the girls I've always been one of
0: When I was listening to this record earlier today, there was something kind of familiar about her vocals on here, but I couldn't quite place it. And just now, listening back to this track, it hit me. This song in particular actually reminds me a lot of Joni Mitchell, Mm. especially in the vocal delivery and just the way the song is structured and the kind of playfulness with the delivery in there. There's some definite influence going on, I think.
1: Yeah, and even the strumming of the guitar... I feel like Joni had songs that she would kind of do that driving strumming.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I don't even know where to start with Frank here. I'll start with how I found this. Yeah. This uh, is actually a pretty recent grab for me. I was at a record store here in town with a friend of mine, and I'm rifling through, and I'm like, what is this? You know, this, uh, I thought it was a dude at first on the cover and has a flat top, spells their name with a PH and a C at the end, and it's called Folk Singer, and it looks like it's from the 80s, so I'm looking at the back of it, and it's a Rhino Records release, which seemed a little unusual to me at the, you know, mid-80s, and... I also noticed there was a cover of Lonesome Death of Hattie Carroll, a really intense and amazing Bob Dylan song, Yeah, and I was like, I have to go put this on the listening table and see what this is.
1: Yeah, that would catch my attention too, because that is perhaps my favorite Bob Dylan song. It's as as depressing as it is, it's an excellently written and powerful song.
2: Yeah. So I proceed to throw it on the listening table, and a female voice comes through, and then I'm even more intrigued, like, what in the world? (laughs) And it's a great album. Um, As you already kind of noted, the similarities with Joni Mitchell, there's like a ton of clever wordplay, which is super up my alley. There's political stuff in here, also super (laughs) up my alley. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's how I found this yeah
1: i had never heard of this artist but then looking into her background i realized that i had heard some stuff that she had been involved in previously
2: oh yeah so here's a crazy thing as well i for some reason very shortly after picking this up was like oh i should watch those decline of western civilization movies And for some reason, I started with the third one, went back to the first one, and then watched the second one, which is a crazy order. Don't watch it in that direction. (laughs) Just watch it in order. But while it was playing, I spotted Frank in the movie, and I was like, what in the world? In the first one. In the first Decline of Western Civilization, with the band Catholic Discipline, and... We'll get into why uh, Frank was on stage playing with Catholic Discipline.
1: That's hard, like a hardcore punk band. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'll get there, but uh, we should probably start from the top, unless right. uh, unless you have some history with Frank there, Sean. I do not. I was
0: kind of aware of some of the bands that Frank was a part of before this, but overall, this is pretty much entirely off my radar. I will say that the first time I listened to it, I definitely thought right away, yes, this sounds like a Jeremy record. This completely tracks that
2: this is his pick. (laughs) Yeah, it was, uh, I don't, I don't get these moments very often these days where I find a thing so up my alley that I haven't heard before, but it, it does keep happening. So I hope so
1: for the. And it's a
0: cheap, it's a cheap record too. I, I looked this up. You can find this one real cheap, plentiful.
2: Yeah, yeah, I got it for, uh, for five dollars, and it's from a place that overprices everything. So I won't say their name. Cause <laughs> that wouldn't be nice. <laughs> well, but five is like the lowest price they put on records at this store. There,
1: there are a number of places that operate that way nowadays i feel like in some cases the dollar bin has become the five dollar bin
2: yeah inflation right Uh
1: uh-huh these times i tell you
2: these times (laughs) well let's uh talk a little about frank frank was born in 1957 in santa monica california
1: Mm, like the everclear song
2: just like the everclear song About being born in 1957. Yes. Frank's parents named Frank Susan Gottlieb and grew up in California. And Frank was into Janice Ian, who we had covered previously, and Alex Dobkin, who was a Jewish lesbian communist folk singer. So kind of the predecessor for Frank also makes interesting, cool tunes. If you're into this, I should probably have saved that for the, uh, (laughs) recommended, recommended albums (laughs) part at the end, but alas, here we are, here we are. And Alan Sherman was also a big influence. (laughs) Like hello, mudda. Yes. Hello, (laughs) Fada. And you can hear it. If you listen to these songs, like some of them tend more like almost goofy, like it's It's political, it's, like, intelligently wordy, but also, like, playful and goofy in certain songs. And you can hear that kind of Alan Sherman influence.
1: Yeah. Well, there's a lot of uh, political
2: folk that's also on the playful side. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. This is a continuation in that vein. Yeah. Frank's mother got her into art which would become a big part of Frank's life throughout her life, including now. I'll say more on that later. We'll leave that at that for (laughs) now. Uh, She started learning guitar as a teenager, started surfing at age nine, and she continued surfing at least into the 90s. I couldn't find her saying anything about surfing after the 1990s, but she was a big-time surfer. Living that California life,
1: yeah, must be nice.
2: <laughs> Peter and I are currently sweltering in Michigan's muggy summer, so yeah, Peter's wishing for a little ocean breeze right now. Bring it on! <laughs> also, Peter's had a lifelong dream to be a surfer, unfulfilled. <laughs> I gotta say, I've done it, and it's way harder than it looks. It is so hard. Uh,
1: Yeah, I I watched people surfing in Hawaii when I was there a few years ago, and I was like, whoa, that looks way harder than it was in the, like, California games when I played those on the video game system. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah, I thought as a longtime skateboarder, I'd just be able to pick it right up and like, no, you have to be, like, good at swimming, and it's, like, a whole different thing, and yeah anyways there goes that lifelong dream for me (laughs) no you can still do it i'll do it with you okay when we go to la
1: try lake michigan
2: (laughs) oh no the waves there suck (laughs) anyways frank left home at 17 after coming out to her parents she said she knew she was a lesbian as a kid And her parents just, like, didn't want to believe it, and then she, like, came out again, and they were like, that's not cool with us. But they did end up reconciling, and she said she was close to her parents, like, by her mid-20s. In an interview I saw, she said they'd already, like, reconciled, and they're close again. So, that's good, because that doesn't happen for everybody. Very true. But she began working on projects at the Women's Building in L.A. and was actively in lesbian separatist communities that she described as militant. And that's where she adopted the name Frank. Yeah, with a PH and a hard C. Yeah. And this is also at that same time she said she had like waist-long hair, and she went in and got her hair cut short and has, at least from this album through now, rocked a flat top Yeah, that is, like, you know, her iconic look.
1: Yeah. So uh, the cover of this prominently displays that flat top. It almost seems like uh, it could become a, a signature, like, Grace Jones style.
2: Yeah. Yeah. True. Let's get into the next track. I want to play. I want to play her version of Lonesome Death of Hattie Carroll because it's such a great song and she does a good job with it.
1: Yeah. The uh, when I saw that you were going to feature this, I was like, that's fantastic. The only problem is it's you really can't just play a, a portion of this song and get the impact of it
2: yeah if somehow you haven't heard this go listen to the full song after this after this uh, podcast episode because you know the whole point comes at the end yeah and it's that systemic injustice is fucked up on that note <laughs> on that note <laughs> here is lonesome death of hattie carroll side b track one
3: Williams and Singer killed poor Hattie Carroll with a cane that he twirled around his diamond ring finger at a Baltimore hotel society gathering, and the cops were called in, and his weapon took from him as they rode him in custody down to the station and booked Williams and Singer for first degree murder. Oh, but you. Who philosophize disgrace And criticize all fear Take the rag away from your face But now's not the time for your tears Williams and Zinger who had 24 years owns a tobacco farm of six hundred acres and rich wealthy parents who provide and protect him and high office relations in the politics of Maryland reacted to his deed with a shrug of the shoulders and swear words and sneering and his tongue it was snarling in a matter of minutes was unveiled out walking Philosophize disgrace and criticize all fear. Take the rag away from your face. Now's not the time for your tears. Hattie Carroll was a maid of the kitchen. She was 51 years old and gave birth to 10 children who carried the dishes and took out the garbage and never... Sat-
2: Spoiler alert, William Zanzinger gets a slap on the wrist for the murder of Hattie Carroll, in case you hadn't heard that song. Yeah.
1: A six-month sentence, is it, that he's handed out?
2: Yeah. And Her. that is when you bury... Uh, the rag deep in your face because now is the time for your tears
1: Yep, yeah. powerful song and a true story yeah and yeah so frank obviously this, this was a, a cover that frank connected to and felt the need to bring back in the mid-1980s for people to hear again
2: yeah as was a good move it's a great song One
1: that stays relevant, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, 50 plus years after it was written. 60 years. I don't know. It's, yeah, it's been a long time now.
2: Ugh. Sad country we got here. Yeah. (laughs) Anyways, Frank was, you know, in the lesbian separatist communities in LA and learning. Silk screening and working on music. And Frank was influenced by the women's music scene of the 1970s at this time. We covered Chris Williamson from Olivia Records on a previous episode, if you want to know more about that scene. But she was inspired to move to San Francisco, expecting kind of a lesbian mecca there. And she found she was not really welcomed there. There was... Frank describes herself as a butch lesbian. And the sort of second wave feminism at the time really frowned upon the idea of lesbians adopting sort of masculine and feminine counterparts as they saw it as recreating heterosexual relationships so they kind of frowned upon it which was unfortunate because butch lesbianism has a long history in the working class back like decades and it is uh you know it's an expression of who frank is so that was unfortunate but frank was very much welcomed into the punk community there
1: yeah yeah uh, and that, that makes sense.
2: Yeah, they didn't care <laughs> what, uh, about any of the high-minded stuff. But so Frank ended up leaving San Francisco and going back to L.A. and just wanted to be in the punk world and wanted to play in a band. So she started hanging out at punk shows and was approached to join the band Nervous Gender, mm-hmm. who are like electro-punk pioneers.
1: Yeah, like synth-punk s- Yeah, stuff, similar to the Screamers.
2: That was another L.A. synth-punk band, yeah. Yeah, I put some on, and it was super good, experimental, not what I expected. when When I think of punk, I just think of like, early 90s skate punk or something <laughs> so
1: yeah yeah so early yeah those those early electro synth punk bands there's another one called the units it's really interesting stuff that i imagine some people would have some punks would have turned their noses up <laughs> to at the
2: time yeah yeah and after briefly being in nervous gender she joined Catholic Discipline, which is how she ended up in the Decline of Western Civilization documentary, which those are amazing, by the way, if you haven't seen them, check them out. Directed by Penelope
1: Spheres, the sister of previously featured artist Jimmy Spheres, Our
2: very firstly featured artist.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Going back to episode one of I'd Buy That for a Dollar.
2: Yeah. So Frank saw a lot of overlap between the lesbian separatists that she ran with and the punk world to her like these groups should be together because they're all mad at the same things like they all want the same kinds of changes but these groups like did not overlap at all at that time
1: that's an ongoing problem (laughs) the, the, the the small little differences rather than rallying around the bigger causes letting those smaller little differences divide these movements
2: yeah and there was the very real you know there was a lot and probably still is a lot of misogyny in the punk realm Mm -hmm. if you watch that documentary i was like stunned at some of the things they were saying
1: (laughs) yeah and that is worth mentioning as much as it's not surprising to me that they would have been welcoming of someone like frank there were obviously still big issues within the the punk world. I mean, Black Flag recorded Slip It In. (laughs) There's some... Yeah. Sometimes those punks will try to act like they were more open-minded and uh, progressive retroactively than they actually were at the time. Some of them have obviously developed significantly since then, like Henry Rollins has come a long way, but yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and frank took a stand against that in the early 80s frank wrote a song called take off your swastikas that is a really direct and potent song and frank wanted to play it on an acoustic guitar because she wanted people to hear the words because to her as a jewish person like it's messed up for all these punks who say they're her friends to be running around with swastikas and the common, apparently the common line of thinking in the punk world was it was meant to shock people and make them um, seem like edgy or whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, as Frank points out in the song, she confronts it pretty directly by saying fascism is an anarchy over and over, which that just makes my fist pump right out the gate. And also, if it was you in those ovens, you wouldn't think it was so cool. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow. It's a uh, direct, it's a potent message. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. And
0: that, that's what the best folk music is, right? Direct and potent with like an economy of words.
2: Very true. Also, I should also mention she was in an all woman punk band called Castration Squad which included Elisa Bello of the Go-Go's.
1: Oh, nice.
2: <laughs> and uh, punk and feminist icon Alice Bag was also in that band. So they were a very brief existing band with some members that went on to do some big things. Mm-hmm. After her punk days, Frank described herself as being strung out in the early 80s. She kind of implies... Oh, I do want to shout out, I should shout this out now, there is an excellent project that I pulled a lot of this information from called the Women of Rock Oral History Project uh, being done by Tanya Pearson, where she is going around and interviewing these women from all over the rock world about their actual history from their own mouths, so... That was an incredibly helpful resource in, uh, you know, getting the facts on Frank's story here.
1: Yeah, that's an important thing to document. I'm glad someone's doing it.
2: Yeah. So Frank described herself as being strung out, implied there was a lot of like drug use and stuff going on in the punk world. And she decided to get clean and got really into swimming, which is that first song we played one of the girls is about you know the people she swims with if you uh listen with that in mind you're like oh that makes sense now swim buddies swim buddies and she was super into it that's actually uh she'll regularly introduce herself as the all-american jewish lesbian folk singer but when she says all-american She means, like, in the collegiate sense of, like, she's top 12 in the nation of being a Jewish lesbian folk singer. So I thought that was funnier than uh, (laughs) trying to, like, grasp at some kind of patriotism or something.
1: It's an important distinction.
2: Yeah. So Frank started recording or started performing acoustically solo and was trying to get an album together, and just got fed up with the process and decided to just fund it herself, and went in and recorded Folk Singer, the album we are listening to. It ends up being released by Rhino Records, who, previous to this, were primarily only doing reissues and novelty records, and... Frank somehow knew the people and they were like yeah we'd love to put it out. So this is one of the earliest like real rhino records out there.
1: Yeah I tend to think of them still as like a reissue label.
2: Yeah yeah and that's you know what they are mostly but so this is the beginning of that and I am just gonna rip another song. We're gonna play Life Lover which it's another good song about loving life. And Frank describes writing it in that period, you know, getting off drugs when a bunch of people around her were dying of drug use or suicide. And she said she wanted to write this song so that she couldn't possibly consider ending her own life because... She wrote the song So it would just be goofy of her to do that So she can't now So that was cool I thought Here's Life Lover Side 2 Track 6 The final track on the album The Ultimate Cut
3: Recently Friends have been departing Permanently, but not me I plan to stick around, you see Cause I'm a life lover, that's me Yes, recently Friends have been departing Permanently, but not me I plan to stick around, you see Cause I'm a life lover, that's me Now all my parts work My eyes and my nose, my hands, my fingers, my legs and my toes And that makes me love life, oh yes it does I'm not gonna go away, I'm here to stay, because recently Friends have been disappearing mysteriously, but not me I plan to stick around, you see, cause I'm a life lover, that's me It hasn't always been easy, folks. Sometimes I get real depressed, too. Hey, but if I can do it, then every single one of you can do it, too. Cause recently, friends have been departing permanently. But not me, I plan to stick around, you see. Cause I'm a life lover, that's me. So recently friends have been departing. I bought not me. I plan to stick I'm around, you see? Lover. Cause I'm a life, lover that's I'm me.
1: nowadays and for many many years now it's not uncommon for artists who started in the punk genre to eventually go towards more singer-songwriter or folk-based material but this is 1985 and i i have to imagine that frank was one of the first people from the punk movement to turn towards Folk music. I mean, you you know you had a few groups that had, were kind of doing the folk punk thing, like the Violent Femmes would predate this, and you had artists that did what I think they call cow punk, like that had like country, folk, and blues influences, like the Meat Puppets, Social Distortion, the Gun Club. But regardless, I, this is like going. That's like straight up folk right there. Yeah, it's,
2: there's little to no punk evidenced in this album at all i'd say (laughs) yeah yeah really only in spirit
0: aside from it just it sounds exactly like all the times i've gone and seen a local punk artist do a folk set like you talked about how there's you know other artists that have combined folk and roots elements into it but this like seems to have completely laid out the blueprint for being a former punk turned folk musician
1: yeah yeah this. This feels like a watershed moment. Mm-hmm. Where where are all you punks citing Frank?
2: <laughs> there are some. There are some out there, but we'll get there. This album did end up uh, putting Frank on the map. It was a watershed moment. Frank got invited to open for the Violent Femmes, who you just mentioned, along with Husker Du and the Pogues. Oh, yeah, that's another one. Yeah. Yeah. And... After her second record, I Enjoy Being a Girl, she was invited to open for the Smiths on what ended up being their final tour and was playing for many, many thousands of people at that point.
1: Yeah, that's a high-profile gig right there.
2: Yeah, and went on to open for Morrissey when Morrissey went solo after that as well. Also still very high-profile. Yeah, And Frank... Describes it, she saw it as her job to be in front of people and to be openly gay and be someone that, you know, people in the crowd can look to and identify with and be like, it's okay for me to be this way. Here's a person who is celebrated in front of thousands of people. So I thought that was pretty cool. Frank kind of hit her peak around 1991 with her, well, her popularity peak, I should say, with her third album, Positively Frank. She was opening for Morrissey after that and was scheduled to open in Madison Square Garden a few days later. And she received a phone call that her brother had been murdered. Oh, and. Yeah, that seems to have really sent her life sideways. She left the tour and went right back home when she heard about it. And she kind of just fell out of the music world for a few years. And, you know, she describes in the interview I saw that she kind of understands now, like at the time it felt bad, but now she can look back and see like, well, I wasn't working. And if you're not working... The music industry doesn't care about you. They, they're they moving on to the next thing. They're not going to wait around. So she did make a comeback. Um, After a few years, she put on a, a show called Hot August Frank, where she was doing Neil Diamond's repertoire and would dress up like Neil Diamond and do, like, the whole thing. So... That, uh, that kind of got her back into music. She went on to record another album, Milkman, in 1998, and another EP after that. And she still performs a little bit, but primarily has switched over to visual art at this point. She goes by the Cardboard Cobbler and makes absurdly real-looking art things out of cardboard. It'll just be like, I mean like one of my saw was an actual shoe and it looks like a regular shoe, but it's made out of cardboard and she'll do like chocolate bars and like, I don't know. It's pretty wild stuff.
1: (laughs) And she was also really into Tupperware. Oh,
2: (laughs) right, right, right. (laughs) Yeah, she did have a, a run for a little while where she was like the top tupperware seller out in la and she describes the internet as kind of ruining it she definitely seems to have felt like a a big sense of community with the tupperware world previous to the internet because you like you're going to people's houses you're talking with them you're meeting them she would like sing songs about tupperware (laughs) and uh yeah she was really into it and she didn't get the recognition she felt she deserved in the Tupperware world and the internet ruined I, it. And you know,
1: as evidenced by my title, I completely sympathize with yeah, her. Peter gets it. <laughs>
2: yeah. So yeah. She had a Tupperware face that sounded pretty cool too. And yeah, that's uh that's catches us up to now with Frank. Frank in a nutshell.
1: Well, Sean what you got for us for recommended similar
0: albums? I have three records picked out if you want to dig further. The before I mentioned Chris Williamson. We did the album The Changer and the Change from nineteen seventy five. It was an influence on Frank and similar themes, a little bit of a similar style, you know, a decade apart, but an important listen, and you can go back and find that episode and listen to the music. And worth noting another—that's another Jeremy pick. Yes, true. And then Suzanne Vega, self-titled from 1985, has some similarities. A little more like pop and rock on that record, but the there's a similarity in delivery. They both have like deep-rooted folk influences going on.
1: Yeah, yeah. That was one of the first artists I thought of when listening to this.
2: I didn't think of that, but that makes a lot of sense now that you say it. Yeah.
0: And then last one, self titled by Joan Armitrading from 1976.
1: Ah, uh, yes. Another artist we previously featured on the pod. hmm Excellent. Well, thank you, Sean. And we do before we get out of here, I have a short installment of For the Record.
2: Peter's favorite.
1: (laughs) Where we correct misinformation stated in previous episodes of the podcast. Because we want this to remain a credible source for research. True. (laughs) Going back to our Bee Gees episode relatively recently, we said that the song New York Mining Disaster 1941 was their third overall single. Let me just clarify something. It was their third hit single that was the third song they had that was a significant hit it was their 13th overall single at that point they had cranked him out on a rick derringer episode we said that rick derringer at the age of 17 had recorded all of the instrumentation for his band the mccoy's hit song hang on sloopy well there was some confusing wording in the article that we sourced that information from. It was actually the band The Strange Loves who recorded the instrumental track on Hang On Sloopy. The Strange Loves were a writing and production team from Brooklyn, New York. They had a big hit with their song I Want Candy, you know, which was well-known for its Bo Diddley beats and, of course, the much later Bow Wow Wow cover <laughs> of the song. Oh, yeah, yeah. So they had recorded their version of the song My Girl Sloopy, which was a song actually written by Wes Farrell and Burt Burns and first recorded by The Vibrations in the year 1964. And the Strangelove's found out that the Dave Clark Five were planning to record a version of My Girl Sloopy, and the Strangelove's wanted to beat them to it but they didn't want to detract from the ongoing success of I Want Candy, which was a big hit at the time. They didn't want to release another single and draw away from I Want Candy. So right right around the time that they were trying to record My Girl Sloopy, which they changed to Hang On Sloopy, they discovered a young Rick Derringer when they played a show with his band Rick and the Raiders, in the Midwest in 1965, they immediately recognized the talent of the young group and brought Derringer and his band to New York to record the vocals over the already recorded instrumentation for Hang On Sloopy. And that, you know, it was this garage band standard already, but that, the what ended up, the Rick and the Raiders, to avoid confusion with Paul Revere and the Raiders, they had the band revert to the original name, which had been the McCoys. That when rick founded the band when he was very young he called it the mccoys i think we did mention that on yeah. the episode and of course that was the big hit that's like the definitive version of my girl sloopy hang on sloopy so while talking about the strange loves one of the members of the strange loves was a guy named jerry goldstein the producer later on the producer and songwriter for the band war and on our war episode A couple years ago, it's worth noting, we did accidentally call Jerry Goldstein by the name Jerry Goldsmith a couple times, which Jerry Goldsmith is a different musician. He's a well-known film composer. Um, (laughs) I'm sure we're probably not the first people that mix Jerry Goldstein and Jerry Goldsmith up. But, I'm just
2: stunned at your ability to remember all these things, but.
1: <laughs> It's all I think about is everything we've ever said on this podcast. Wow. And You're our
2: biggest fan.
1: <laughs> I am. On our very recent Blue Ridge Rangers episode, I will take the blame for this. I, when we were talking about Fogarty's songs being, you know, like, great American songbook material, I mentioned i heard it through the grapevine as being like a song i've known my whole life well of course john fogarty did not write i heard it through the grapevine that's <laughs> a, a motown song written by norman whitfield and barrett strong recorded by the miracles gladys knight and the pips and marvin Gaye. well before Creedence clearwater revival did their version okay. and that is everything i have for this installment before the record
2: fantastic i'm humiliated it
1: wasn't your fault jeremy on um, that, that, that rick derringer <laughs> oh part. don't call oh. me oh <laughs> that, i was just kidding but wow <laughs> that article was very confusingly worded i actually went and edited the wikipedia article to make it more clear that rick didn't record all the instruments on hang on Sloopy." <laughs> thank you peter <laughs> yeah. going back to frank though do we have any final thoughts I, this is a very unique and interesting record you've brought here, Jeremy. Yeah, and, and
2: it... Uh, and high quality. Yeah, it's of a high quality. It's un, it was unknown to me before very recently. It's like flown under the radar, but is like it is highly influential in certain circles, specifically the LA queer Queercore movement. That would follow it and the Riot Girl movement, there are multiple people who have cited Frank as being a big influence. So
1: Oh yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if like Kathleen Hanna from yeah. Bikini Kill cites her.
2: Yeah. So yeah, this uh it's like one of those things that has a big presence in certain circles, but I want it out into all the circles. So here's Frank. Out into the circles frank goes cool
1: well what uh did you pick as the final selection
2: oh right 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 uh i picked caroline for the final song because i like it i think it's a good song (laughs) and uh this one definitely feels in the more like olivia records vein it's kind of a an intimate song about having a crush on someone so yeah, which,
1: of course, yeah, like that Chris Williamson album, the hearing songs in, what was that, 1975? Yeah. Hearing a woman sing a song about affection for another woman was, I got, like, goosebumps listening to that. <laughs> I think 85, it's still pretty substantial to hear that.
2: Yeah, still not uh, normalized at that point, I'd say. and And it's just a good song. So we're going to leave with that one.
1: Wonderful. Well, thank you, listeners, for tuning in to yet another episode of i'd buy that for a dollar you can check us out on social media instagram at i'd buy that podcast facebook i'd buy that for a dollar we also have an i'd buy that for a dollar group where we share records cheap finds come be a part of our community this is
2: peter cook signing off i'm jeremy ruggles and i'm sean hartman here's Caroline, side B, track five.
3: you and no one is quite as handsome as you are oh Carolyn I miss